Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Joel Prusky, BMO's OIS and cross-currency trader. This week's episode is titled WWJD, What Would Joel Do? I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. So last week, Joel, Bank Canada hiked rates 75 basis points uh, as expected. They changed their tone a little bit, talking more about the end point for rates rather than the pace of rate hikes. Uh, and, and so it suggests they could slow down and maybe they're nearing an end to the to the aggressive hikes that they've put in place. Uh, what are your thoughts on that at this point? Well, I would tend to agree. I think um, it's clear to me that the tone did shift a little bit and the bank is getting ready to prep the market with the idea that we have done an incredible amount of hiking in a very short period of time. On some forward-looking indicators, things look like they are slowing down considerably, and that it would be prudent to, at some point, have a pause to reflect on how far we've come. And I think that they went through the first steps of getting ready for that. And I, I, I think that step, the next step is probably the October meeting where they kind of let the market know that they're reaching a point, and I don't want to call it terminal, but I'll call it terminal for 2022, where they'll say, let's marinate a bit with what we've done and let's see where we are and let's see what what, what brings over the next few months. Okay, so terminal, temporary terminal, or the, the at least where they pause, 375 or 4%? Pick one of those, sure. One okay, of those. either way. Uh, and and what about 23? Any any thoughts on 2023? Will they keep going? Um, are you just going to see what the data says? Because, I mean, that for me, that that's all that really matters. And given the volatility in the market and the data generally and the general uncertainty, it's a pretty tough call to make at this point. But the risks point to more rather than less. Well, I'd like to say a few things on this topic, Ben, if you would indulge me. I will happily indulge you. Uh, one is going to be, it depends when they finish. If they finish in October, you know, then by March of 2023, they could be back in the game one way or another. If they finish in December, it's probably a little bit later. So that's the first thing I say. You know, here we are talking about what's going to happen in the March meeting when we're not even a week barely out of the last meeting. I mean, this is a, the joke of the market. I mean, let's get our heads screwed on straight. We just had a hike. We just spoke about stuff about the hike, and we're already worried about when the cuts are coming in 2023. And what I will say about 2023 is... This is a central bank, along with the rest of the central banks in the world, who have yet to ever see a crisis coming. Their crystal balls is cloudy, if not cloudier than all of ours, as is mine. So what do, I don't know what's going to be in 2023. I don't think that we're going to get the kind of a move back to 2% inflation that the central banks, at least in North America, are hoping, which bodes for high for longer. 
that may mean a higher terminal. It may mean we get to 5%. I know it's unfathomable to most people under the age of 40 in the market, but uh, that it's quite possible that the hiking campaign starts again if inflation doesn't start to behave or that we sit at 4% for a very long time, a long time being a year or two. And if that's the case, I think then the market has some explaining to do in, in the sense of the, you know, the inversion, which really has come off a little bit, but still we're, we're pricing in, you know, somewhat significant rate cuts for 2023 already. So you talked about a pause earlier and, and, and then the potential for cuts. So the, the, I guess my, my only counter argument to them continuing in 2023 with rate hikes would be the reason they're pausing in the first place. Like, and this is more of a Canada argument than a U.S. argument. Uh, we're, we're a very indebted society. Housing is already under huge pressure and wait three months and it's going to look that much worse uh, because we really haven't felt much impact of, of, of rate hikes yet, quite frankly. And debt payments are going to go up substantially. Like just, I'm trying to work, work through the numbers right now. But um, if you go back to the last time we had overnight rates with a four handle, the effective average interest rate for Canadians was uh, north of 6%, about 6.5%. Now we're looking at about 3.6%. So you're looking at a three percentage point increase in borrowing costs. That would cost about $80 billion a year or 5% of disposable income. If you chop off 5% of disposable income, we're in deep trouble. <laughs> well, on top, of, on top of the rampant inflation everywhere else, that, that that's sucking the excess money, that excess savings out of the economy. And so like, yeah, so you have this huge increase in rates that really hasn't fully flowed through yet. Inflation is a great point because it means everything costs more and then you have that much less. Your real disposable income is that much less. And so the, the, the economy is going to suffer potentially very badly next year. And And even if inflation is... Still sticky at that time, if the economy is, is headed for a potentially, I don't know how deep, but a, a, a recession, how willing is the bank going to be to continue to, to raise rates in that kind of environment? The truth is the current generation of central bankers don't even know what that means. Like you're speaking words they don't understand. And right now, I, I mean, it's it's really a political game, right? Which way is the wind blowing? Right now, the wind blowing is we must create and stop inflation at all costs in the middle of a you know, a housing 20% crash and a deep recession where job cuts are happening, then all of a sudden maybe that changes, right? I mean, I think given the current government in place in Canada, the, you know, uh, hybrid NDP liberal government we have, there'll be a lot of crying uncle the minute job losses start happening. But that's not today's trade. Look, I think when, when we speak in the U.S., Powell seems very clear that he is willing to tolerate a severe downturn uh, I don't know that the same will hold true in Canada. It may or may not. I don't, I don't know. I, like I said, I don't think anyone knows what's going to be six months from now. No, that's fair. I, I, I'm not trying to pontificate about that stuff. I think I just know kind of more near term and near term. The job is almost done, I think. The Bank of Canada's current job is almost done. Okay. I guess my, my only my biggest point would be that Canada's is that much more sensitive to rates. All the more reason. More than the U.S. Right. And, and so the bank probably... When they get to their pause, it would surprise me if we don't get a, a meaningful slowdown in growth. How slow, I guess, depends. That will determine whether they have to keep raising rates or not. In the U.S., there's a much better chance they have to keep going. And, and that economy is that much more resilient. And, and the latest job numbers should, should really exemplify that. You get like plus 300,000 in the U.S., which comes on the back of a plus 500,000 print before that and for jobs. Whereas in Canada, you have three consecutive negatives. 
Uh, we'll see what next month brings. I, I suspect it'll be positive just because the education quirk in there. Uh, but it, it's still that the backdrop in Canada is is much less friendly, I think, than in the U.S. And so the Bank of Canada has a more somewhat more challenging uh, policy backdrop. Well, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see. But that's still I still think that's a 2023 story for the Fed as well, because, you know, the Fed can't keep hiking all the time and say, well, wait a minute, inflation isn't coming down. I mean, OER is a massive lagging indicator. And we're, we're freaking out about an inflation number that didn't satisfy the market's desire a, a day or two ago, when a huge component of that was OER, which we know in, in six to 12 months is going to start turning down. And but the market, you know, is I get why they're very fixated. So uh, my point is, I think I don't disagree with you on the U.S., but I still think it's a 2023 story. And I still think at some point the U.S. has to say in a similar vein, we've done a lot of hiking. We're QTing a lot. Let's see the effect of this. Enough. Yeah, I got and, you. And, and by all means, we're not done. And we're not saying I'm not saying job done. Powell will say, and if we have to hike more, we will. But you can't just hike 75 at every meeting until you finally see CPI tick down the two tenths you wanted to. So I, I totally agree. When I, which Fed official said that they they want to keep hiking until inflation is 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 clearly trending down and materially lower, like that isn't the way you're supposed to run policy. Uh, it takes too long for policy to work. You you don't want to. That means they could be hiking until five, six, seven percent uh, if if they're waiting for inflation to actually fall. Um, the one thing I will challenge what you just said, uh, it wasn't all OER. OER was probably about uh, of the core. It's just about two ticks, I believe, of, of the six. And four, if you take out OER, is still a lot. And and so there, there, there's still some, I think that was, that for me, that was the troubling part of it. It's not, uh, a lot of guys missed on OER. A lot of the forecasters, that's fair. But uh, it was it was more than that. And you look at any of the uh, other kind of, funny enough, Canada-type underlying inflation metrics. They have term means and, and weighted medians in the U.S. as well, and they all picked up notably as well. So it, it it's uh, not not a comforting story for the Fed. Clearly, more more rate hikes are coming there, and, and uh, could be seventy five next week, could be hundred. Why don't? What do you think about that? Let, let's, let, let's not forget one thing: rates in the U.S. are still a hundred basis points below where they are in Canada, and we keep talking about this. Oh, uh, more hikes, and then Canada has to price in more hikes, and it's a daisy chain of hikes. Rates in Canada are 100 points higher than they are U.S. right now. That will change next week. I think probably 75 uh, next week. I, you know, I think you can't keep hammering that nail forever and expect it to go any more through the wood than it is. So I, I, I think 75 with continued uh, talk of more to come. All right. Well, we'll we'll see what the market's pricing because if the market gives them. Market's at 80, I think, at the moment. So if they get above whatever into the high 80s, that that probably changes that ball game a little bit. And and we'll see if the Wall Street Journal likes to drop any stories on Monday. Oh, by the way, 100 this time. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see about that. <laughs> Moving right along, but but I mean similar similar topic. My first episode with you was uh, all about your your views on duration, and you were quite bearish, and that has proven to be. Right. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. That's it. No gloating. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think I'm a genius, to be honest with you. I mean, rates were probably what under one percent when we first talked. That's not a natural number. It's not the right number. It should never be the right number. Zero is the wrong number for overnight rates. One percent is not the right number for ten-year money. So I, I honestly don't think I'm a genius. I, I just think that I try to have a slightly bigger picture view. So. 
Um, still, was, I still expected more gloating. Um, from okay. here, with ready to go, with, with, ready to go Joel. With US 10s, uh, we're 340-ish today, give or take. Sure, let's round it to uh, 350 just for Well, fun. we're not at, my point is we're not at 350 and we haven't broken through that level. Right. Do you still think we go higher? Are we gonna are we gonna breach to three fifty in, in, in tens and, and continue to push? Or are we gonna see a four handle in tens and longs in, in US and Canada for that? What's matter? your time? What's our time? What are we talking here? The next, uh, over the next three year weeks, or six two? Weeks? No, you could say year. Why don't we why don't we say over the next kind of like six to twelve months? I think the range in tens over the next six to twelve months is probably two and uh two and three quarters to four and a quarter like i kind of think we're in the middle of the range i i think there's still way too many market participants who think that um the last 15 years is what's normal quote unquote and i'm not sure that's the case if structural inflation is here to stay um and inflation at the best really runs more like three and a half four then i think it's quite possible that you know tens trade to four or higher and or stay stay high for a long time, and we don't get these uh, massive rallies. Uh, I, I don't I don't think we'll ever relive the zero lower bound in my trading lifetime. Granted, that may not be long. <laughs> granted, I've been around a long time, and I might not be around for a long time. But I, I think they they know now that's not the that's not the best way to really stimulate the economy. I mean, it, we've proven fiscal is a way better way to get money in people's hands. Uh, and zero rates just cause a whole bunch of excesses all over the place. So I think if that's the case, I, I think 2% is a floor for 10s going forward. And uh, if I had to really make a wager, I would think we're much more likely to see 5% than 1%. Oh, and that I agree. Um, definitely. And I'm, yeah, that the, the structural argument is one that I, I, I like a lot. I just... Um, the, the geopolitical side of things. I think we've gone from a unipolar world where the U.S. just dominates and trade flows are dictated by them and everything is free to move around the world without any any real friction uh, to a multipolar world where nobody really gets along. Like China's got their own wants and needs and Russia's got their own wants and needs and the West has their own. And, and and that means that we all fight over the same size pool of resources, but there are way more redundancies than you would have had in the past. Absolutely. And everybody wants their own chip factory in their country and their own whatever factory in their own country. And, 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 and the U.S. has weaponized finance as well. So if I was Chinese, I would never buy a treasury note again, knowing that they could could be used in a time of conflict against me. And uh, the U.S. has some deficit problems. They have social security problems that at some point those all do need to be funded. And if you just uh, manage to piss off your largest buyer, you know, that I, I mean, to me, that's an argument for a much deeper curve and much higher long end rates at some point. I mean, look what happened in the U.K. in the space of three weeks. I mean, the bond market just collapsed because they realized, wait a minute, you know, who's going to buy our paper? And yes, the U.S. still has uh, exorbitant privilege at the moment, but empires all fall. And if you look at what's how they're tearing themselves apart, you know, are they, you know, as you said, multipolar world world is coming. Yeah, I don't know if the U.S.'s downfall is coming with that, but 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 multipolar I, I, by definition yeah. means their prominence has been is going to be diminished relative to what it was to so some extent. Yes, and that, and that has a cost. I think something that that I heard on I can't remember which podcast very recently over the past it's really uh, thirty years or so you've had periods where big global buyers of treasuries Japan big global buyer then China big global buyer for a decade. Uh, then the Fed became the big global buyer for a decade, and now 
who's the buyer? Oh, I don't think China's buying more. I don't think Japan's buying more. And I know the Fed's not buying more. In fact, they're going the other way. That was the Odd Lots podcast. Was it? Oh, there you go. So uh, and, and, uh, yeah. yeah. And and so who who is the buyer? I don't have an answer for you. I mean, that, well, I, I mean, think that's a good... The, you know, but that, that that's that's the supply and demand thing. And yeah. maybe at 5%, there's interest. People well, will be interested, it. you know, domestic buyers uh, will be interested in buying. At, at 2.5%, with inflation running at 4 I don't know that, you know, that's the case. And, you know, regulation has forced so many banks in the U.S. to buy HQLA assets. And those there, there's nothing Q... Or L about them, we found out. We t- it turns out that they're not Q and they're definitely not L because all I hear about is how bad the liquidity is in the treasury market. So, you know. It's all, it's all relative. It's better, better than everywhere else, though, probably. Yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> um, <laughs> given that you think treasuries are more likely to get to 5% than 1%, 10 year treasuries, what, where is Canada going to go in that scenario? Does Canada follow suit? Do we outperform? Do we underperform? Where, where, where does Canada show up on the radar? And, and, I will, it's important to note that Canada has performed very well of late. Uh, we were trading back of treasuries in 10s, 20, 25 basis 25 points, basis points yeah. a month ago, a month and a half ago, and, and now we're 25 basis points through. And, and and two years went from 40 basis points back, and now we're trading about in line. So uh, Canada's had a, a really, really strong run of late. Is that going to continue, uh, or, or is this just kind of flash in the pan? Well, I mean, I think, uh, look, you know... We all wear different hats at different times here. You know, this is a macro-ish podcast. So we're talking about what's happening in the next week sometimes, sometimes in the next three months. I think near term, if you've been in Canada, US, you've had a great run, I would take it off here. Uh, I would even entertain uh, going the other way, especially in fives, because mostly because I think Canadian fives are heinously rich. Um, but that's a story, you know, for another day probably. But definitely, if you've been in it and tens have moved 50 basis points, you know, the casino is always open, I like to say. So there's always a chance to get back in. In a textbook bear market where tens actually got to four and a half percent one day, sure, Canada would, I believe, outperform. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I think in between now and then, a lot of things could happen. I mean, if the Canadian dollar is at 140, that exacerbates our inflation problem. And that may change the Bank of Canada's reaction function. So uh, who re- I can't really say for sure about that. I think from a near-term trading perspective, I would not be long Canada short US at this juncture right now. I think it's been a great run. I think if, you, if you've been in it, it's time to get out. And, and I even think that there are times for a trade, for a short-term trade to look to go the other way. I do think structurally, I, I believe you should be buying Canada on dips versus the US when it cheapens up. But at, at 25 through in tens, I don't think it, we're cheap. And terminals now 25 through as well. Which is again not 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 cheap. Terminal when we were twenty five above was cheap. So again, the fifty beeps is a kind of universal across the curve. So I think it's probably a good time to to exit stage right. That makes good sense. I think the the move in the front end, the terminal. I, I didn't realize that it had moved that far. Uh, so the, that's good to know. And I, generally, I agree. I don't know if I'd be getting short Canada, but uh, that that would be super tactical. And you better be in be in touch with the flow on that because. Well, again, that's the macro versus the market maker, right? I mean, you know, again, two hats, right? There's there's times when we get put into risk and the best hedge for that risk may be a long U.S. position for a short term for a trade. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, you said you said the five-year point in Canada is heinously rich. Instead of another time, why don't you give us a 30-second synopsis as to why it is heinously rich? 
Well, I think it's it's heinously rich at the moment because I think bank balance sheets uh, are starved of mortgages, which means they have to go out and they have to receive fixed. And they pick the five-year sector to do it because that's what it says when you open up asset liability management for dummies. Not that they're dummies. I'm not calling any of you dummies. But that's on page one and you receive fives. And twos, fives, tens is almost at minus 55 in Canada, which it historically is uh, very... Uh, inverted. Fives, tens, thirties is actually quite positive. So if you're looking at the, the two, two fives, tens, versus five, tens, thirties, we're up near almost all-time highs. So that's why. I also think that uh, fives are, are built on the house of cards that is imminent rate cuts or, or near, near-term 2023 rate cuts. And when you start realizing that the banks of central banks of the world aren't bringing those in, I think that that two fives curve is just too, is simply too inverted. In defense of, of those receiving the five-year, the, the five-year sector is where the fixed mortgage does print and when home sales collapse. I'm just Absolutely. saying that's why it's the first page is but they're all gonna, I'm So they're going to be receiving so, 360 yes, and they're going to be paying 4% for the next year. If the bank goes to 4%, CEDAR goes to 435. Yeah, I didn't so, say it was a good trade. So they're going to have negative <laughs> 75 beeps to carry for the next year or possibly two. So I guess my point is I do understand that they're pre-programmed to receive five years. But at some point, the curve should say to them, wait a minute, we want to be, we should maybe we'll look at three years or something else. Yep. Like there, there are there are many other points on the curve other than five years. The negative carry there is, is not, uh, not going to be friendly for no. sure. Uh, so why, why don't we leave it there? And, and Joel, why don't you give us your favorite trade idea at the moment? Sure. Let's talk. I mean, uh, two trade ideas that I like. I think one is we've got uh, the December meeting here right up against 4%. And I think even January is at, at 405 or so, 406. Um, I, I do think that that's going to be terminal for 2022. It may even occur at the next meeting. You know, it's quite possible we get 75 and done from the bank. So I, I wouldn't mind taking a stab at the receive side at 4%. I think you can do some of it outright. Uh, I think you can do some of it against the October meeting in, in the event that the bank does the 75 and done type of thing. Uh, I also think you can do some of that out, out, not only outright, but versus the five-year point, which I think is very rich. So I would target kind of that. De- receive decent Jan, uh, pay October and pay five-year. Um, the other trade I would do, which is in the cross-currency space, is the four-year, one-year, five-year, one-year steepening in cross-currency PA SOFR, or, or you could do it in CORE SOFR as well. There has been uh, a fair amount of receiving of the 10-year point uh, uh, from reserve generation from the central bank. That's given dealers 10-year risk they don't want and can't move. So uh, it's had a uh, inver- uh, effect of inverting the curve, the basis curve quite heavily. So we have a very steep out to five-year point and then a very flat to inverted out to 10-year point. And for whatever reason, the street seems unable to understand what six years are worth. So the four-year, one-year, five-year, one-year cross-currency swap is close to minus seven-ish. That rolls down to plus two in a year. In my history of trading cross-currency swaps, which arguably hasn't been that long, only 30 years, for 28 years, uh, this is the dumbest thing and the most low-hanging fruit I've ever seen. And uh, I think if you are going to trade cross-currency uh, RV, then this trade has to be done, and it has to be done in as much size as you can get done. Okay, that's not convincing. I don't know what is. I'm not. I don't have anything better to give our audience. So 
I'm going to leave it there for today. And Joel, Joel, thanks as always for coming on. Benny, always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.